I would like to talk about making half-hour D&D campaigns for busy moms who ain't got time for shit. What do you mean by that? I want to make a D&D campaign that takes half an hour, your character's established, you get into a scenario, bing, bang, boom, you decide how you want to do it, and it's all wrapped up in a tidy half hour so mom can get back to doing whatever she's got to do. So, like, an extremely short D&D campaign. I would like to make this palatable for more than the people who have six hours on a Sunday to play a D&D campaign. Well, granted, ours takes six hours because we can never make a damn decision about, are we going to open this one door or not? I don't know why that is, because it's basically me and six bruisers. I don't know why it's so hard. Well, we we both have now have multiple characters, and you you went from having kind of a DPSer slash tank to now being a tank, and I went from being a tank to a DPSer. So we've kind of switched roles in that and with our different characters. But that's what I'm saying. Like my mom, whoo, over the head. I'm talking real simple. Like this is who I want to be in my fantasy world. Okay, here are the stats. And I'm going to do everything for you. You just tell me what you want to do. I will literally take care of the rest. I want a Spencer Crittenton to give my mom a D&D campaign. But then you have to have stats already made up. And then you have to have characters made up. And they made a board game like this. This has already been made. Shut the front door. The Dungeons and Dragons, both your brother and John have this game. Do they have infinite characters? No. Well, then it's not the same thing. (laughs) Do they have infinite scenarios, Aaron? Is there a scenario where you can bonk a werewolf? If not, it's not the board game for moms. When you say bonk a werewolf... He's Aaron. She's Elizabeth. And and we're we're married married to to the the idea. idea. Today we're going a little fantasy themed. Uh, As you can tell from our picture, we went with a fantasy movie today. Screw the realism of... uh, pre-World War II or post-World War II Britain and uh, ballet shoes and and uh, acting on the silver screen back when it was actually a silver screen. We were recommended our movie today by previous guest, owner of the Apothecary Bee and the soon-to-open area of effect, Allie. Hi, everyone. How's it going? <laughs> Allie, it's not that kind of medium. They're not going to respond to you. Oh, well, crap. (laughs) Allie is here joining us today to talk about Willow. She recommended the movie to us. Very strangely, Aaron and I had not seen it. If we had, we did not remember it. Very long ago, I recall watching some of this with a dear friend, Hamilton, and I did not recall a single bit of it, except for the fact that Warwick Davis was in it. That's really all I remembered. I know my mom has watched it or has was a fan or something of the like, and she's probably very disappointed that I don't remember much of it. I just remember it being one of the more strange or more or rather less traditional fantasy movies. Well, the reason that I recommended it is because when I had found out that the two of you were at the point where you where you ha- you hadn't seen it or you'd only seen bits and pieces of it, um, and it's in my top five, I knew that I had to be like, all right, I'm coming over, I'm bringing Willow, and we are sitting down and watching this movie, and you are going to love it, and you are going to deal with it. Yeah, Ali uh, reached out to me on Facebook the other day and was like, hey, top five movies and go and i'm like ah 
here you go. She's like, oh, okay, cool. I haven't seen or heard of two of these. I'm like, okay, well, what's your top five? And she said, she said, I'm like, okay, I haven't seen two of those. And she guessed correctly, which two I hadn't seen. And Willow was one of them. May I guess, having not been privy to this discussion, that on both of your lists was The Princess Bride? No, on hers, It was on my list, that's for sure. I love The Princess Bride. I can quote, of course, every line from it. And I've dressed up as Princess Buttercup before and at cons and actually met Carrie Elwes as Princess Buttercup, which was, you can't get any better than that. Like, I've peaked. Uh, No, Princess Bride is not on my top five. I don't, unfortunately, as great of a movie as it is, I don't know if it's even in my top 20. Aaron, that is a damn shame. I'm sorry. It's Damn not my. Shame. It's a great movie. It's a good it's thing we're not my... talking about it today because that would skewer you alive. It's another shape <laughs> of water. Hey, it's a great movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. End of podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible to talk about good movies, but it is possible to talk about fun movies. Yeah. So let's talk Willow. Uh, we will be spoiler free for the. Eh, let's do this movie for the first like... half. And then we can talk about some thematic things that we might want to see changed up. Okay. So I guess, yeah, we'll stay spoiler free for a while. But I mean, the movie's 20, 30 years old almost, so. It was back when Val Kilmer was like really hot. That's that's one of the things I want to talk about because I'm actually a, a decent fan of Val Kilmer. So we'll, we can get to that. So initial impressions, Elizabeth. Initial impressions to me are... It's a very Lucas Entertainment, Jim Henson Entertainment movie. The combination of the two kind of makes it almost Spielbergian in a way at some points. Hell a lot of whimsy, hell a lot of dark, hell a lot of puppetry and effects. You know who this was directed by? Ron Howard. Yeah. I've spoken my piece about Ron Howard before, perhaps not on this podcast. Ron Howard is the filmmaker's filmmaker. He, I find him to have a lack of clear directorial identity because he's very good at making the movie like you, the audience, imagine to be. You know what? Now that I say it in my head, no. I'm thinking of Christopher Columbus. Sorry. That's, I I feel a little insulted for both of them because, because I find both of them to be very competent, if not fantastic directors. You misunderstand me. I do think they are incredibly more so than competent. I think they are great because they managed to make the movie about the movie and not about their visual style, as opposed to the guy, Wes Anderson. That's a director who directs to direct. He wants you to know his style so fierce. Tim Burton. The directors, they may be good. They may be great directors, but their style is first and foremost. And then if you get too into it, you become M. Night Shyamalan. So my personal opinion is that... Ron Howard, Chris Columbus, and a couple others have a lack of distinct visual style that lets them make the movie the way that the audience wishes it to be. First Harry Potter, great example of that. First two, actually. First two. I yes. So don't don't misunderstand me. Lack of directorial style does not imply a bad director. In fact, I sometimes appreciate that director most of all, who can not just say "Notice me" through every screen and every shot. It's nice to have that. So Ron Howard, I think, blends in the background because when you have Lucas and Henson collabing, it's gonna be all about them. Ooh, Henson wasn't involved with this one. Are we sure about that? 
I can look it up during this podcast, but I'm pretty sure Henson wasn't involved. There wasn't puppetry. You might be thinking of Harry Housen because of the claymation. <laughs> no, I was thinking of the dogs, which definitely had puppet faces. They they weren't puppet faces. They were like they were like masks or costumes that they threw onto the dogs themselves. The the mouths never actually moved. Well, I'll just say that even if it's not it feels like it. It feels like Labyrinth. Labyrinth, okay. Labyrinth wasn't Lucas, I don't think. No, that's what I'm saying. They, <laughs> we are on such a tangent, none of which has anything to do with the movie. Let me just say it has a quirky, fanciful, dark charm. So I'm actually, I'm going to turn it over to Allie because this is actually one of her favorite movies. And I and I do want to dedicate a little bit of time to her to let her talk about, um, remember, we are starting to say spoiler free for the first part, but I'm, I'm you're going to have free reign and we're going to try not to interrupt you at all. Oh, so good Lord. Why is this movie your favorite? How long has it been your favorite? Because like for me, my favorites have been, have of course, you know, some movies are a little bit newer than others and, um, and some of them have interchanged. I mean, like at one point in time, I think the mask was in my top five. So just because of Jim Carrey, <laughs> but, uh, so how long has it been your favorite? Why is it your favorite? You know, all that fun junk. I would say that because I watched it from a very, very young age, it has sort of a nostalgic quality for me to be able to think about my parents sort of putting it on when it was rainy and dark and uh, it was just kind of like uh, we couldn't really go out and do anything sort of day. We just sat in and watched Willow. It's good background noise, honestly, for me, um, because I've seen it so many times. It's one of my comfort movies that I will put on um, if I'm feeling particularly sad or lonely. I can do that and, I don't know, read or do other things. I mean, I'm not really, really pumping up this movie right now, (laughs) am I? Um, It's definitely worth a watch. I think because it has so many elements of fantasy and comedy, and darkness, I'm particularly drawn to it. It's been in my film repertoire for, oh, at least 20 years, I want to say. But it didn't really reach the top five for me until recently when I kind of sat down and said, okay, what makes a great movie? What makes a movie something that I want to watch again and again and again, and I'm never going to get sick of it? And That's when I compare Willow to something like we mentioned earlier, Shape of Water. Great movie. Fantastic movie. Do I want to own it? Probably not. Do I need to watch it again and again and again and again? Probably not. It's a great first watch. It's a great first watch. But in terms of rewatchability, things like Inception or Interstellar, all great movies. Do I want to sit down for three hours and look at four dimensions? Careful now. Nolan is my boy. I know. I know. And I love him. And I'm saying you probably need to watch Inception a couple times to, to, to get the full effect. But I honestly don't feel like it's as enjoyable when you're specifically looking for things that you might have missed. There, There is a time and a place for that, and I am all for it, but if I just want a feel-good, chilling out, doing my own thing movie, Willow fits the bill like 100%. I get you, Allie. I would binge watch Gilmore Girls 100 times over 24 even though when I was watching 24, it was pulse pounding and I couldn't stop and my family would watch it till 2 a.m. 
could not stop watching it or even Stranger Things. I can't imagine Stranger Things being a comfort show. Oh, too, God, no. Too, too, too much goes on that is too anxiety-inducing. I get the idea of a comfort movie. I'm a fan of the comfort movie. I think probably for its length, Lord of the Rings is one of those for me because it's so long, you don't have to worry about catching every single second. I completely 100% agree with you, Liz, except for I wish that they had made Fellowship the first 30 minutes its own movie. I would watch a Hobbit's putzing around in the Shire movie in a split second. I can see why you would think that. I actually really enjoy Willow because halfway through it, they don't decide to say, you know the main character we've been following? Well... He's uh, half size, so he's not really as compelling as these tall, handsome characters. Quick, shun him to the side, which is what happened in the Hobbit movies. The dwarves got lost in their own story, and it's ostensibly about them in the original text. So I appreciated that in this one, you never lost sight of your main character that you were following. Well, to kind of throw this out there, the, someone on the interwebs put out the idea that instead of making a book into a movie, books need to be made into TV shows. And one season of a book, or one season of the show, is a book. One episode is a chapter. Some things are still going to have to be edited out, but it's still, it's a lot easier to get every detail from the book into the into the visual medium. So that would be, like, to be done in the aspect of a Lord of the Rings style type thing, where you could have almost, you know, a half a season where they're just in the Shire, there you go. And you would you would be way more compelled with these two characters of Samwise and Frodo as they go through this m- big, massive journey, you know? I, I So that's, that's something I would agree with. Uh, I was also on the interwebs, and I saw a person say that perhaps we should stop remaking and adapting really good things and actually go back and do the shit things because they were shit and we could do better. Like Mortal Kombat. Uh, as opposed to remaking Clue. Which oh, is a God. masterpiece. I don't know what you do to remake Clue. They did, Clue was a remake, tech, not even technically. They used emulent elements of Murder by Death. If, if you haven't listened want, to our episode, yeah, if you want to know more about that, go listen to our episode of the Who Did the Who Done It Better. They use similar elements, but they are both very distinct movies. You could watch either one, and neither one feels derivative of the other. Exactly. But here, so going back, I guess, trying to get us back on track. Aaron, that's your job. Yeah, no, I'm the one that gets us off track. Uh, with Willow, that is something that I never feel as happens as it does in the Lord of the Rings movies. I actually still have yet to see any of the Hobbit movies, even though I love Martin Freeman and, um, you know, of course. His, his casting is the shining light and saving grace well, that, of those films. He is perfectly cast. That and Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, make that the 30-minute movie. Make just Martin Freeman, Benedict Cumberbatch as a hobbit and a dragon facing off for half an hour. I'm, you've got my money. Sold, sold, sold. But that, I, I still have yet to see that, but having watched the Lord of the Rings movies, as I sit and look at Ali's tattoo of the door from the first Lord of the Rings movie on What's her its arm. its name? I don't know. It's the Doors of Durin, of course. Of course. Of course. That leads the Mines of Moria. Speak, friend, and enter. Friend. Well, if only we had you on the Fellowship, perhaps they wouldn't have all died. <laughs> Anyways, I have to. I think that's kind of what you were what you were kind of getting at is that Will one of the one of the things that it does is it never loses sight of who the main character is. 
except for in the billing but beyond that like <laughs> they even felt bad that like that he was getting that he wasn't getting top billing even though he was the main character the movie is named after him uh george lucas wrote the story for warwick davis warwick davis didn't really even have to audition for this role because he met him on the the set of star wars uh, i think episode uh five and it was like, oh, here, I'm, I'm, I want to make a fanciful, you know, um, fantasy movie about you. And, like, you're going to do this and that and this and that. And Val Kilmer's going to be there. And Who was Warwick Davis in episode five? I don't know. It might have been. Ep- I don't know if it's episode five, but at the minimum, he was um, uh, one of the Ewoks, one of the main Ewoks in episode Wicket. six. Yes, he was Wicket. Wicket the Ewok, which my mom has a dog named after. I definitely knew that he was in six. That's why I was curious when you said five. Because in six, yes, I know exactly who he plays. Yeah, I, I thought it. I thought it said five. I could be wrong. You know, Warwick Davis will play miscellaneous tiny people. That is pretty much his role. He may have been some sort of droid or bot that was putzing if, around. If you ever see the honest trailers for the Harry Potter movies, they start uh, naming all the British thespians that lent their roles to it, and they say so on and so forth. Warwick Davis. This person, that person, Warwick Davis. <laughs> this person, and of course, Warwick, Warwick Davis. Davis. But actually, um, the guy who, uh, Kenny Baker, who played R2D2, is in Willow. He plays uh, a musician in the uh, one of the, the t- town scenes at the beginning. Wow, I actually did not know that. IMDb trivia! Yay! <laughs> Uh, but the, no, that's, uh, that, that is something that they, the movie actually does a really good job on is not losing focus on who the main character is. Do you find it a little strange that this movie is that progressive enough to have most of the movie, a lot of the movie take place in a village of hobbits or little people, whatever, what would be specific term that they were called in that universe? They were Nelwins, which was essentially a dwarf. Okay, so they had a whole movie based on Nelwins, and does anyone else think it's kind of strange that only now are we considering that there are movies that could be like that, where you have your main cast as being uh, a quiet place comes to mind, mm. where the deaf community is actually really excited about this movie, one of the actresses is deaf, and it's really cool to see that community have a movie that perhaps isn't built around them, but definitely has their idea in mind oh yeah like um yeah for that one the quiet place for um deaf people or uh mr magoo for nearsighted or blind people Aaron. sorry i couldn't resist uh yeah no that's uh, there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of those movies that people uh tend to kind of get behind uh sometimes you know without trying without the movie really trying or you know, in this case, where literally it was a village of dwarves, and they, all of them, I even the children played, who were playing, you know, the children of, like, the, the main character, were actually dwarves. And I, I, I love that. I, I thought that was incredible. And this was a movie made 20, 30 years ago. And nowadays, it would be hard to get that movie made. I actually can't help but wonder, because I saw one of those, you know... Images on Instagram that made me change my entire life. 30 years ago, that was only 1990. Was this movie made in 1990? It's it's an early 90s movie. Okay, cool. It doesn't feel that way to me. It's either a late 80s, early 90s movie. It feels Goonies-esque. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's... The the thing is, is you and I are almost 30. 
Shut up. <laughs> so you kind of have to use that as a as a measuring stick. That's disgusting. <laughs> I'm going to be 30 this year. This is terrible. But as the movie does a great job in focusing on the main character, it does a good job on showing who the main secondary character is. And that is Mad Mardigan, played by Val Kilmer. Hey guys, remember when I played Batman? (laughs) It hurts me so much because I love Val Kilmer. I even love him in Batman Forever. That's how much I love him. Because he, that's the thing. His Batman is not that great. His Bruce Wayne is one of the best. Isn't that what happened with every Batman movie, though? Every single actor who's ever played Batman nailed one part really good. Michael Keaton did a pretty good job on on both, but that's a that's a episode of, for a different time. That's a horse of a different color. Yes, that's a, all the Batmans. We definitely cannot get into no. all the Batmans right now. No, there's there's Batman. Batman, <laughs> Batmans, Batman? Bat people. Batman? Um, but Val Kilmer, I remember watching Real Genius with my mom when I was a kid, and I remember thinking, "Oh, if that's what a smart college is like, I can go to a regular college. I'll be fine." Because I was actually thinking around that time that I couldn't go to college, but the movie Real Genius actually made me think I could actually make it in college, and I made it through. No, Val Kilmer is a is a good actor. I just I hate to see how far he's fallen. Really, like it. it we hurt. can't all age as gracefully as Michael Keaton. Oh my God, that man is still beautiful. But he uh, he does such a great job. He has that manic energy that he, he really possessed. Um, because if did you guys? I think you. I think you and I have watched it. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it though. Uh, one of the Zucker Brothers um, parody movies, Top Secret. No, I have not seen that. Oh, you got to watch it. It's uh, Val Kilmer stars in it. It's one of actually his first roles ever. Oh. It's not his fir- it's not the first role, but it's one of the first roles ever. He he plays a Elvis type character who goes to Germany and gets caught up in like an espionage type thing, and it is hilarious. I would definitely love to see Val Kilmer in some more of his like comedic roles because I know that that's not typically what he's what he's known for. He's definitely in some dramas and some action movies and things like that. And while I can appreciate that, I absolutely am smitten with his character in Willow. I think he is hilarious. He lends so many different qualities to to just be a foil to Willow's steadfastness and Willow's uh, determination and, and just innate goodness. And Mad Mardigan is your kind of chaotic good, I would say. If we're getting back into fantasy terms, um, he's definitely <laughs> chaotic good. You can't really expect what's going to happen with him. Uh, and, he, and he definitely lends like a, a really fun quality to the movie. Let's, let's be honest, guys. He's the Han Solo of this movie. Yeah, but he's, I would say he's even more of a scoundrel. He is. I, uh, I mean, Han, Han in the original movie, and even in the second movie, is pretty scoundrel-esque. But it's really funny because this was written by George Lucas, and it's got a very similar plot. 
it's not the exact same plot, but you can draw some very distinct parallels between this and uh, Star Wars. I'm pretty sure that you can do that with almost any Lucasfilm, <laughs> sort, of, sort of. I just have to say that you never see Han Solo incarcerated. And we find when we stumble across Mad, Mar- Mad Mardigan at the very beginning, he uh, is in a cage for who knows what reason. I'm sorry, my fanboy will not Wait, let me. Wait, yes, he has been incarcerated. Yeah, there's I'm a saying, whole but we know big scene why. about it. They end the movie the on it. The whole thing is we know why. I love you. I know. Pretty famous lines. We know why he was incarcerated. We don't know what Mad Mardigan did to get into a cage. You know, Allie's right, hon. We get a little idea when there's dissonance between the group that he's a thief. He says that, and they look at each other, and you think, is this going to break it up? Are we going to get a backstory? And he's like, I have something to believe in now. I'm going to follow him. We never do know why. We have no idea his past. He could have burned down an entire village of Nelwins. An entire village of Nelwins. And then his character arc, where he starts following a Nelwyn and believing in a Nelwyn, that would be even crazier. But you know what? We don't know what he did. I want to play devil's advocate a little bit, though. I actually kind of like that I don't know why he was in a cage. Oh, I I like that, too. I'm just saying, I think that's what makes him kind of a more interesting character than Han Solo, who we see doing all these deeds and then getting, you know, put in the carbonite and all that and doing whatever. Yeah, exactly. The whole, oh, I love you. I know, whatever, blah. But seriously, (laughs) Mad Mardigan could have been a freaking berserker. He could have lit so many people on fire. We have no idea. And then at the end of the movie, of course, you love him. Even in the middle of the movie, you love him. He could have he could have been a raper and a pillager and Well, he's obviously an adulterer. Well, yeah. An adulterer. Yeah. <laughs> he could have thrown that baby into a ravine like so many other babies before. <laughs> now, Ali, I know you've seen this movie a hundred thousand times, but Liz, did you get that in the movie, Willow is actually going back to his village, is actually just returning to his village when he sees that the baby has been kidnapped by a group of brownies and the brownies are like cheering about it. And one of them says, we got it while the the big guy was pissing. Did you get that? Yeah, I did. Oh, okay. No, I figured out he would be more reprehensible, harder to love if we believed innately that he had just left the bay on the side of the road. That didn't seem to be what it was. He just seemed to be inept at watching anything for any length of time. He went from like insane, but I mean, he wasn't a cage. For... I feel better. <laughs> I absolutely love that line. And I pretty much say it whenever, if I'm sick or if I'm not feeling well. <laughs> and Michael asks me like, hey, what's going on with you? I'm like, I feel better. <laughs> I guess we got to actually get into the plot a little bit. So let's go ahead and slap spoilers ahead. We'll do the plug party. Oh, yeah. You can follow us on Facebook at Married to the Idea, Gmail at Married to the Idea Reviews at gmail.com or Twitter at Married to the Idea Reviews with the number two. If any of those are incorrect or misspelled in any way, you can just visit our website at marriedtotheidea.weebly.com. All the links are there as well as all the episodes. I was counting through. I think we are now over 40 episodes. 
Sweet. <laughs> we take any sort of comments, suggestions, recommendations, and of course, we are on SoundCloud and iTunes. So if you really liked this episode, go ahead and leave us a review. And also, we would love to have people follow us, share uh, share the pages, you know, tell tell your friends. If you'd like to share, use the hashtag M number two TI or married to the idea. Because there's a character limit. Not as much as there used to be, but there is still a character limit. I just do married to the idea. Well, you've got so much space to play with words, don't you? Yeah, and Allie, why don't you go ahead and give yourself a good old pat on the back and uh, do some plugs. Well, I have an Etsy shop called The Apothecary Bee. I do hand lettering on pretty much any medium. So if you want something lettered from a movie or a TV show, I can definitely do that. I am about to open another Etsy shop called Area of Effect Perfumery, where I basically take inspiration from video games, characters, places, and items, and turn them into a scent experience. So if you're interested at all in that, I hope to have my grand opening in mid-April or late April. You guys should definitely check out the master scent list that she's posted. I am very excited for all of the Portal-themed scents. Says the girl who never played Portal. I watched you play Portal, did I not? You watched me play both Portals. Mm-hmm. And Batman. Yes. And all pretty much Batmans. every game you've ever played. And just started up uh, the South Park fractured butthole. I wish you would stop playing that. I won't. I love it. I want to play Bound. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I want that one. Play that one. All right, so let's get into the actual, let's do a quick plot summary. So, of course, from here on out, spoilers ahead, but this movie's super old. Go watch it. It's a lot of fun, You're, and your kids will like it, too. The The overall plot is, is it Newlin or? Nelwyn. Nelwyn. A Nelwyn, which is uh, a short person, uh, smaller than a hobbit, would you say? Yes. Smaller than a hobbit. A very specific Nelwyn, named Willow, finds a baby on the river and takes it in, begrudgingly, and uh, takes it to the town council and is told that it needs to be taken outside of their village and taken to someone else so they can take care of it because the baby is special. They're just not sure how. And they take, they a group of them take it out to the crossroads and the crossroads is where they meet Mad Mardigan and Mad Mardigan convinces them to leave the baby with him even though he's in a cage. They don't really let him out of the cage until after the gr- the rest of the group leaves. He does convince Willow and this uh, other Newland to let him take the baby and they start making their way back towards the village. They find out that brownies have kidnapped the baby. So they go back and the brownies actually end up kidnapping them. And they find out that they need to take the baby to... I always... I, I did not get her name. The the sorceress. Finn, Finn Rizal. Finn Rizal. They need to find Finn Rizal get her the wand get her this wand and then go to a place with a, a bunch of people where they seriously seriously so maybe i should be letting you do this i don't know why i'm i don't know why i'm uh, explaining it essentially the baby Alora dannon is special she has a mark on her arm it's your 
it's pretty stereotypical fantasy trope, you know. He has a lightning bolt scar. Right, exactly. So um, the evil queen Bavmorda searches the country looking for this baby because a prophecy says that the baby will be her downfall. Um, so when Willow finds the baby, initially, he's just kind of like, I want to wipe my hands of this. I want to make sure that the baby goes to the first daikini, which is the word for human in their world. I will give this daikini baby to the first daikini I see, which happens to be Mad Mardigan. And then when Willow's on his way back, Mad Mardigan gets caught literally with his pants down. Baby is stolen. And then uh, Sherlindria, the fairy queen, tells Willow how special that he is to have been chosen for this mission. And from then on out, Willow starts gaining this sense of, like, heroism and he wants to kind of do the right thing rather than just go home to his family he decides to embark on this journey where he's taking care of the baby every step of the way trying to get her to TRS Lee. He also has two children of his own so it works out that he knows how to take care of a child too. Exactly. But he uh, he's a farmer and uh, he likes to practice um, practical magic more like tricks and you know stuff like that but he wants to be like a sorcerer's apprentice and has failed a couple times but starts to learn magic throughout this journey. I like the idea that they build of Willow having to learn confidence in himself. Because the reason he's failed so many times to become the apprentice to a, a magician, to a real true magic practicer, is he has no faith in himself. He knows what the right thing to do is, but he's just too scared or uh, shy or not confident enough to do it himself. I like, and that's, that's one thing that I... I appreciated throughout this entire movie. Not only is he a Newland or a dwarf, um, you know, in real life, he is a not only a married man but a married father and it doesn't he never like tease at him like maybe cheating on his wife or you know thinking about oh i'm so glad i'm not around her anymore i don't have my children around anymore that's never he like in fact he always wants to get back to them and i i love that kind of character is usually the side character or a mentor or even someone that dies you know, to have that kind of tearjerker moment. Yeah, a family man doesn't usually make it through unscathed. Yeah, and like, and the wife shows her commitment to his journey by, because I had, a, had to ask you, Allie, the, um, because she hands him like a lock of hair, and I didn't understand. And apparently, in their culture, that's what you're saying, right? Um, that she had a, like, she cut off her hair, and it was something. Explain it to it's, me. I'm sorry. It's sort of like, uh, I would say I'm not entirely sure where it comes from, but there were um, cultures where you would give a warrior or someone going out on a journey a piece of your hair or a locket or some other trinket to kind of keep you safe. It's sort of like a talisman thing. And so she ends up like cutting off like, all of her, all her hair. hair and giving it to him and he keeps it throughout the journey uh it's kind of kind of like a she's in mourning in, in a way that she's not really expecting him to come back That's, i would say yeah. um especially since he is so little and he's not very confident in himself probably expecting that she'll be taking care of the kids and things like that so it's sort of a mourning sign never expecting him to come back so but i i did like that you know and they never played around like visited by sirens or you know he's like i'm i'm so glad i'm not around my kids or something like that i'm really glad that they never played around with that he's definitely a character that you can instantly fall in love with i mean he's he's never so good that it's saccharin 
<laughs> he's never so, oh, you know, great that he seems holier than thou in a way. He's just a regular dude. He really is. Ha ha, give me the child. I will take her to the countryside. Ha ha ha. Yeah, that's essentially Mad Mardigan. <laughs> <laughs> sex level expert. Have sex using that voice. Ho oh, ho, I'm inserting in you now! Oh, good oh, God! <laughs> we just went R-rated quick. Ah, Aaron. And a puppet movie, no less. It's not a puppet movie! I know, I know. They're just little people, Liz. Oh! You racist! Shush! Shush all your mouths! Oh my racist. goodness. No, okay, I want to talk about the prophecy storyline. Such and such will be the thing that will be born and it will be your downfall. Every single story that's ever gone that way, does anyone else feel like it is the hubris of the person who the prophecy is told to that then makes all this problem? For example, Bad Morda. Did I say that right? Bad Morda. Bad Morda. has a daughter who is captain of the guard. She is a tough, fierce warrior. She gets stuff done and she does it for her mom. Even though her mom isn't the kindest to her, you never really see insubordination on her part. She yeah, just she's not she's not like cruel, but she's not like kind either. So the prophecy is this child will be the end of me. And in sending out her daughter to find this child and to kill it and by saying one well, of the other guards to go with her cuz she thinks that she might need some help along the way. It sparks the first seeds of dissent in her when she meets Mad Mortigan, and then underestimating a small creature is what leads to her downfall. I just feel like every single one of these prophecy stories, it's always the, the person who's trying to stop the prophecy's fault. Goes back to Odysseus, actually. Yeah, that's where the Edible Complex comes from. He was so afraid of killing his father and marrying his mother that he left the country never to return. And when he finally did return many years later, he had no idea who they were. And so, of course, he did those two things. And he, he fucked it all up. As if he just lived there and been like, well, I, you're my mom. Why would I do that? You're my dad. Why would I do that? And life goes on. Voldemort, I will make this yeah. child my equal and be the only reason for my downfall, as opposed to just letting it grow up normal and never having to deal with the consequences. And there's, like, everyone Everyone loves to point out the fact that, like, uh, Neville Longbottom easily could have been the chosen one, too. Um, which, it would have been interesting to see that, like, I would love to see her or someone else actually rewrite it where Neville is the one that is attacked and it's, you know, he's made the chosen one. So that's usually, I mean, but that's usually how it goes is that well, it's whenever the hubris, those kind of things. And then he's the hubris of the villain. That's why I kind of feel like Thanos is going to get beat right quick. We're not getting into Infinity War on this podcast. We don't know anything. We're not getting into Infinity War on this podcast. Do you really want everyone to We're hate not me? getting into Infinity War on this podcast. I have strong opinions. So... Now, here's something, Here, here's an interesting kind of theory that I have. Now, it's half-baked, because I literally just came up with it a second ago. The village elder for the New Orleans, he is trying to decide what to do with the baby. Like, the, the jerk of the village, the taller guy um, who, like, hates... Burgle cut. Ugh. Screw that guy. Yeah. He's nasty. Nasty guy. So nasty. He's nasty. He's saying, throw the child down the well, just drown it, just get rid of it. The village elder is trying to figure out what to do with it. And he does um, a soothsayer and he throws the bones and he's trying to figure out what the bones are saying. And he leans in and he says to Willow, the bones aren't saying anything. Do you have any love for this child? And Willow, being a father and being a good guy... 
yes, I have some love for this child. Because who wouldn't? It's a child, you know? That baby is a great actor, by the way. Oh, God, yeah. The faces they got her to make oh, are just man. fantastic. The the twins, because it was two two children, the twins that they got to play, the babies never acted again. Oh. Yeah. That's sad, because they have such expressive faces. And normally, I'm not a huge fan of babies. They kind of look like potatoes to me. Muppets just really freak you out then, huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're the worst. This baby is, like, super endearing. It's a Super endearing and very, very much, uh, very expressive and lends... Even even lends some comedy, I think, to the to certain scenes. I mean, like if they didn't get some of the reactions that they got from that baby, like the scenes wouldn't be as funny as they are. I feel like the creators of um, Full House watched Willow and like, let's get babies that can do that, and then use it in every shot. <laughs> and then thus were born the Olsen twins, and then the nineties were never the same. But the the village elder does that. He asks Willow the question. Willow says, "Yes, I have love for the child." And then he's the bones say the child must not be killed. And it, so it makes me think maybe the seer was just full of shit <laughs> and was just trying to like put Bav Morta Bav Morta Bav Morta in her place like listen here you stuck a bitch I mean he is pretty old who knows how long he's been around maybe he's kind of sick of her reign and things like that there's also another uh, example of his ineptness when he throws a rock up into the air and it becomes a bird and he says follow the bird and the bird will lead you on your quest and Burglecut says, uh, it's going back to the village. Now, these are two. <laughs> he says, <laughs> ignore the bird. Ignore follow the, the river. Just follow the river. <laughs> now, these are two different characters. The seer who does the prophecy works for Bavmorda and the village elder. They're two different characters. Right. Um, I wanted to make sure that was yes. pointed out. How, But yeah, like what if, like, I, I'm not saying, because in this world, magic is real. There's even a love potion. Oh, so you're thinking it's like Kung Fu Panda 2, where the soothsayer tells that a warrior of black and white will be your downfall to the peacock. And she, you could say she made it up. It could be true. But you also know that she's sick and tired of this guy being in charge. Like, here's what's going to happen. You, <laughs> I know you and your cockiness. You're not going to, you know, you're going to do all the wrong things to take care of it. You're going to kill everything else around it and make it care more. And Sometimes, like, yeah, that's the thing. Is sometimes either a prophecy will come true on its own or sometimes you will make the prophecy come true. Every single prophecy I can think of has been at the ignorance of the bad guy who tried to stop it. You mean a self-fulfilling prophecy? Ah. <laughs> Mind blown. So let's... Uh... I have something to talk about. <laughs> All right. I want to talk about, since this isn't my darling childhood before me, I want to dissect and strip it a little and see what can be gleaned. <laughs> Allie looks so scared right now. No, okay, how about this? I really like this movie. There are themes that I think get left behind that I wish were explored more. They have this connection between Bav Mortar and her daughter. And you get the idea that she does implicitly trust her daughter, perhaps even love her, by the things that she says to those around her. Like, can you really trust her? I have more loyalty in her than I do in you. And the turn for the daughter is... Not the quickest it could be, but still pretty quick in the grand scheme of things. And her mother doesn't really seem to... 
we lose any sort of connection of them being mother and daughter. It could have just been an equally trusted female competent captain of the guard who turns on her queen. Mm-hmm. We don't really get a mother-daughter struggle with these themes of parentage and fatherhood. I thought we would have seen more of that. That's that's a good point. Like, I, I think the turn is a little slower because it starts... Uh, what happens is the two brownies, uh, one played by Kevin Pollock, of all people. Which I did not know at all for the 20 years that I've watched this movie. And now I'm <laughs> all of a sudden, I'm like, holy crap, it is actually him. It's Kevin Pollock, of all people. Uh, but uh, two brownies go along on the mission with Matt, uh, Mad Mortigan and... Um, and willow and they have like a love potion love powder love dust in their one of their sacks and you get a little taste of what happens with it because one of them gets hit and he like falls in love with a cat but it's a it's a temporary effect it's not it's not a permanent thing so mad mortigan gets a face full of it so he goes uh in to rescue uh alora right is her name yes alora uh, Alora, and as soon as he like he gets in the tent, he sees the the captain of the guard, uh, Sorsha, and instantly falls in love with her. Now, and I love that I did this to you. You were like, "There's a plot hole. Why didn't he fall in love with Alora?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's true. Maybe he was already in love with Alora." Boom! Ah, this is a plot hole explained. <laughs> plot hole filled. I mean, it is true. Uh, that's another thing. I get what they're going for, where they want the captain of guard, and they want them to fall together because it's two uh, attractive young people. They're going to fall in love. That's the point. Now, Kith. Now, Kith. <laughs> I I like it. I like the idea of it. I don't know if it's executed properly enough to make me really believe it. We get the sense, because he captures her at that point, at some point, that, you know, you told me you loved me. You told me you would die for me. A thousand deaths. He's like, I didn't, I was a different person then. There's a weird sincerity mixed with humor, but then there's also just the logistics of it all, where why would she ever be charmed by him unless she literally doesn't have conviction for her position, which every indication has been she does. She's a ruthless person person my my thinking is is it caught her so off guard that it actually got her thinking about it it might also be um and this is just me spitballing here totally if you're growing up captain of the guard daughter of this evil evil queen is it maybe entirely possible that no man or woman has ever shown interest in you romantically ever in your entire life and as soon as someone does you're like Holy crap, this is a great experience. I really like this. Maybe I'll stop being evil and maybe I'll start loving. This is great. Can you show me what love is? Well, that's why I wanted to explain, explore more about the mother-daughter relationship because if we learned her mother had really never shown her any true kindness, sort of a Rapunzel, sort of Mother Gothel thing, she loved her, but she really loved the things that she could do for her. If we got that sense and then had a person who literally said, I'd die for you. I would do absolutely anything for you. That show of emotion is better than, oh, he's really good at fighting. I'm attracted to that. Why would she care? I, again, I don't 
think I, I understand what you're what you're going. I disagree, but I understand where you're going with it. I feel like that was when what convinced her is because he he came in and basically was Shakespeare to her and talked about how the sun is not the sun when she's not around. The, he lives in darkness if she's not nearby, and how um, he didn't know what what breathing was until he smelled her. You know, it was like it was incredibly romantic, like. My panties were a little wet. I was going to say that it's... I was going to say I don't think it's believable because it'd be like someone on Team Avatar falling for Azula. But then I realized, well, one of Azula's teammates does end up with someone on Team Avatar. So it's not too far-fetched. Technically, technically it was he was on Team Azula and then came to Team Avatar and then he just brought her over. And then everyone else came over because Azula was fucking batshit crazy, but... So she's Beth Morda, really. Yeah, essentially. <laughs> um, it could be, I think I don't mind it. And at the end, I think Allie was a little sad that she just turned into a mom, but I bet she's still a kick-ass mom with the guard. I think she still gets oh, to have some I, fun. Alora is going to know how to fight. Alora is going to know how to kick ass. I do wonder, though, sometimes, like, hey, hon, remember, remember before we got together... Yeah, remember when you, like, totally destroyed that village of innocent people because your mother told you to do it and you enjoyed the pain of misery of others? Yeah. <laughs> we, it's hard enough to do with infidelity before a marriage. That's a little, that's a bit much. Maybe in fantasy worlds, just, like, kind of hard to come by any kind of love, so you just kind of leave that baggage on the side of the road there. You're, you're a little bit like, hey, they're having a fight. Oh, do you remember when you kicked me in the face when I was your slave and you were dragging me behind a cart in the snow? Do you remember that? Hmm, maybe you should wake up for the baby this time. Do you, Mad Morgan, take Sorsa and forgive her all of her trespasses, including her kicking you in the face? And do you, Mad Morgan, take, or uh, do you, Sorsa, take Mad Morgan and forgive him almost. Uh, slicing your neck multiple times. A match made in heaven. True love. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's wrap this up because uh, I think we beat this thing to death. I I think we all enjoy this movie. Enjoyed this movie. So, and I have a question uh, after we do the the ratings. Uh, but I think Allie needs to put do the rating on her own because a it's one of her favorite movies and b it throws off our system anyway. So all right, Allie, you go first. All in all, I would say this movie makes me feel good. It makes uh, me laugh and it makes me feel compelled to watch the rest of it. You know, I'm never ever bored with it, and it's just got this like little place in my heart. I mean, no pun intended. Little tiny little place in my heart. Boo. (laughs) (laughs) Shut up. So, um, but I'm not going to be super, super lenient on it. I'm going to say that there are definitely some flaws, but I love some of the visual gags that they do. I love the characters. The plot and the story is a little contrived. It's a little overdone, but the characters are so real and so lovable that I will have to give my one of my top five favorite movies. I will say a nine out of ten. I can see that. 
one of the I, honestly it's probably going to stick with me for a long time the vi- visual gag uh, near the end of the movie we did not even begin to talk about some of the humor that goes on in this because some of the humor is Lucas humor but then some of this humor is Ed Morgan where'd you go immediate smash cut to a giant ball of snow rolling down with his feet sticking out it is like, like the it made me laugh out loud a and literal you never role. laugh out loud. No, I was... L-O-L. The old hag wizard battle, that was great. Yeah. There were just so many Saruman Gandalf moments in that, too. Val Kilmer, again, actually, I think it says that a good chunk of his lines are improvised. So some of that, some of his humor, some of his natural humor came out in this role. And if you want to see like him be a really good kind of sarcastic way... Watch him in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It's really good. And plus, it's a young Robert Downey Jr. Like, right after he gets clean, it's like one of his first roles. And so he's in that air of confidence and stuff like that. So I definitely suggest that one. But um, the visual gag of near the end of the movie where Willow accidentally turns a goblin, or no, a troll, excuse me, a troll into a two-headed dragon uh, that is modeled after Clint Howard. That is the biggest insult to that man I've ever heard of. Oh my god, is it really? Yeah. Oh. I feel so bad for that man. He's not, I mean, he's not the, like, most handsome, but he's Aaron. Aaron. What? Be real here. Okay, he's Clint Howard, but he's not, (laughs) he's, I mean, he's Clint Howard, but he's not... He's not that dragon. How about that? Yeah, he's not two-headed dragon ugly. <laughs> um, but the dragon like starts like forming in the the lake and like grows and starts breathing fire and roaring. And all the people that were in this like castle run out, including Mad Mordigan, like runs out and they're all just like kind of standing there looking at the dragon. And he kind of looks around. And he's like, they're all kind of breathing a little heavy, and they're like all looking at each other. And he's like. Oh shit! <laughs> he's, he's right in the middle. He runs back in towards the dragon. So there's there's a lot of like those funny moments. So for me, my my rating actually might be a little higher than it should be, but I'm actually gonna go three point five. I think this movie is really well acted. I think that it is believable in all the heart parts. Whenever there's heart involved, all believable. I really like Willow's journey. I like that in the end he uses these tricks. That yeah, he, I like was, that. he uses tricks to outwit and eventually win the day. I like that he doesn't turn into a sword fighting badass for no reason. I like that the uh, mystical MacGuffin in the form of this baby actually does provide character and humor and real heart to it as well as opposed to just being the fetch quest. My precious, my precious baby. It worked better. <laughs> I really enjoy the design a lot of really cool sets and visuals. I did feel very Lord of the Rings at points with some of the shots of them walking against sunset on hill. Very, very Peter Jackson. You would say that maybe Peter Jackson took that from Willow then. I would say that. I could see that, yeah. Uh, I also think that this is a really enjoyable movie. And I think for me, the humor, the heart, and the visual gags are enough to forgive it some of its weaker points. So for me, I would also say 3.5 out of 5. So a 7 out of 10? 7 out of 10. It's hard doing this out of 5 system. I don't know I really why don't we like... rate. I know we have to because people need a number to get what I we really mean. I really wish we could but do I wish, out of 10. I wish our 45 minutes of dialogue was enough to convey to people what we actually thought about this. But no, let's just sum it up into a number. I, w- I wish we could do it out of 10 because then it would be an average. Because so we could say Elizabeth score, Aaron score, and then average. I still think, honestly, whenever we do this, 
it tends to be an average. Each of our five scores tend to make an average that we would have normally picked, I, I would feel have, like. I would have probably done like 7.5, maybe 8 even. But uh, here's my question that I pose to you, the listeners, uh, our fans, and uh, to you two. Uh, and even though you've already quote-unquote answered this i already have an answer kind of and i know you kind of have an answer but i still want to ask an answer yeah keep using pronouns in this uh non-visual medium keep going (laughs) crap i just yeah you're right you ali have already answered this and you elizabeth i probably know what your answer is but i'm not 100 percent. but i still pose this question uh so my question is, is what is your, like, favorite, like, rainy day slash just go-to movie when you just need something on in the background or, like, your just easy movie? Willow's definitely up there, but um, I also feel that way about all of the Lord of the Rings movies, the originals. And uh, I, I, too, have not, surprisingly, seen The Hobbit movies. Really? Yeah. Um, I fell asleep during the midnight showing of the first Hobbit and just... Totally did not pick up on anything after that. Um, so I definitely got to get on that train again. I'm I a Lord a- of the Rings fan, not so much a Hobbit fan. I read the book The Hobbit. There's no reason it needs to be three movies. End of story. But uh, I also think uh, Harry Potter is that for me, is my comfort movie. I will watch Harry Potter anytime, anywhere, any place with anybody who wants to watch it with me. I love Harry Potter. <laughs> if you're looking for a real in-depth explanation of what actually went on with the Hobbit movies. Uh, Lindsay Ellis is currently doing a series of video essays still ongoing. It is freaking great, you guys, because she breaks it down, not only the story problems, but behind the scenes, the studio problems, the director problems. She breaks it down in a way that we all kind of know, but it's refreshing to see it explained with facts backing it up and uh, actual actors' interviews. Like, yeah, Things were not tight behind the set. Bad mojo went down. I mean, uh, what's his face? Ian McKellen broke down crying on set one time because, yeah, because uh, they were shooting a scene and uh, everyone else had already shot the stuff. So he was just shooting on a green screen and there was nothing else around him. I think I've actually seen the video footage or like something of that scene. And it's just like you just see him just kind of like like he does his thing and they like the cut and you just see him go from his Gandalf to just like a broken down man. That is super heartbreaking because you know Ian McKellen is like my boo and he is a thespian and uh and a renaissance man and he is phenomenal and to put him in front of a green screen with no other actors to go off of is absolute blasphemy. He and he is a sassy bitch and I love him for it. Mm. So if you want a breakdown of that I highly recommend it. I would also say that, Aaron, of course you know what my rainy day movie is. It is, of course, Beauty and the Beast. Shut your mouth. <laughs> well, I guess... The- I could have guessed that one. Yeah. I was thinking it was either that or, like, P.S. I Love You or something like that. Or even Gilmore Girls, truth be told. Gilmore Girls, if we're talking about shows? Yeah, because yeah, that's my show. That's my show I can recite from heart. That That's a show that I can work against because I know what's happening and it's all audio, don't not visual. Yeah. I can do that. It's it's basically a podcast filmed, that show. Yeah. <laughs> For me, I, I think mine might be a little bit of a surprise, but it's, uh, it's got to be... Uh, while you were sleeping something fun, or like something along those lines were fun kind of lighthearted, you know uh, easy fare so well thank you guys so much for 
listening and uh thanks again to creator of apothecary v and area of effect perfumeries ali for joining us and for recommending this movie to us you are so welcome anytime and i don't know i i've i've had to do it a couple times myself but i've not had to sit through it like that yet or recently at least um sitting through one of your favorite movies with people who either haven't seen or haven't seen in a long time so i know it's just gut-wrenching at times. Oh, yeah. I'm always looking at your guys' faces like, hey, did you get that? Did you get that one? Hey, my favorite part. did you my like it? Part. Did you like it? Hopefully you like this movie and you're not going to like totally shit on it on your podcast. That'd be great. I'm going to be part of this part podcast too so that you have to look me in the eye when you shit on it. So, <laughs> yay. So, but thank you, thank you so much for uh, watching it with us and being on the podcast with us. But until next time, she's been Elizabeth. He's been Aaron. And, and we're, we're married, married to, to the idea. idea.